I'm Asan and welcome to League Matters, our new 93-20 Premier League podcast. What's this bollocks, you're wondering? Once the season starts, we'll do it once a week and we'll be looking across the league at anything and everything that's topical or that we're interested in. Not just the top six, but whatever's caught our eye, whether it be a result or a performance or anything, basically. Um, this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Daisy Cutter, Stephen Tudor. Welcome, Steve. Hello, hello. And the daddy of City Podcasting, Mr. Howard Hawking. <laughs> Welcome, Howard. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Uh, hello. <laughs> Does that mean I'm old? Uh, no. Means you you mean old. I'm the oldest podcaster? <laughs> oh, I don't even know about that, but you sound old anyway. I, I know, think it, I am. It just, it, just, it just means that for me, I didn't really know about City Podcasting until I was introduced to Mr. Howard Hawking and, uh-huh. uh, and his famous rants. Um, I'm well- Welcome anyway, Howard. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Excellent. Good few days. Excellent. Um, So look, what we're going to do on this week's show is we're going to have a quick look around our rivals and see how their summer and their transfer business is shaping up. Um, I guess with it being the most topical thing in the last 48 hours, uh, let's start by talking about Chelsea losing Lukaku because from where I'm sat I think that's a pretty huge story for many reasons uh Steve I'm going to start with you what do you make of that because it really did look nailed on that Lukaku was headed headed to Chelsea and obviously United have 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 swooped in and stolen a march but what do you think yeah, and it also looked nailed on that Maratta was going to go to Old Trafford. Mm. So it has been a startling turnaround in a short period of time. And certainly the actual securement of Lukaku has astonished as regards to the time frame. Um, you know, you wake up this morning and it's dawn and, and a, a rare bit of credit maybe is deserved for United for that, for the speed in which they've done that. Um, I don't know how much it's took by Chelsea by surprise. Maybe... I literally mean that. I have no idea because it could be where they're equally as astonished. And if they are, that with that astonishment comes kind of aggrievement, uh, resentment, and just having to reformalize their whole kind of plans now. So it could throw Chelsea into all kinds of chaos. There are other options out there for them, of course, but, uh, and, you know, they would have had plan B and plan C in, in place. But yeah, it, it's just come out of nowhere to an extent. I mean, if, if you're looking at Chelsea, it's hilarious. And if you're looking at United, I well, less hilarious, but still kind of funny because it's not that I don't rate Romelu Lukaku when he scores lots of goals and he'll improve them and he'll score hat-tricks at home to Burnley and Watford, which is what they were missing desperately last season. But at the same time, it's weird that United have spent so much money on a centre-forward and I'm not that arsed. Yeah. Howard? Yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me, it's okay. It's going to be a strange summer, isn't it? I mean, the numbers are just like all over the place. At the end of the summer, when we sit down and look at the fees, this could maybe this will almost be normal. Maybe this will be one of 12 £75 yeah. million pound transfers. We all, basically, what, what Steve has said, we we know United are going to spend like we are. They're going to spend over two hundred million. So we know they're going to make seventy million, fifty million pound signings. Mm. Uh, they're not just going to do nothing or buy some hilariously bad players. But as Stephen said, 
I can't be that worried about this one. And well, that's the general feeling because I thought they were going to get Griezmann and Griezmann really would have been a big signing for them, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge. And, you know, even, you know, I know we hear the rubbish every summer, but if Ronaldo had come back, he would have absolutely, you know, he would have taken up two levels, even at his age, you know. Uh, yeah, Lukaku would get goals. He's, he's, he's a superb goal scorer, but at that price, he's... He's got areas of his... Yeah, he's 24, so he's not a kid. Uh, I think he's 24, I just turned it. He is. Yeah. Uh, he'll get the goals. They've struggled, at, like we did, at home to mid-table side, so he could make a difference in those games, but his touch ain't good. He's not, he doesn't use his power all the time. He drifts out of games. I know Mourinho probably won't let him be. That He's been lazy at times, though Mourinho won't let him. Uh, and they've lost... And they had someone like, and a different type of player, but Ibrahimovic was a player who had his own limits, but was a brilliant goal scorer. So they've kind of spent 75 million and could be where they are. Obviously, the car could, can still improve uh, and might improve his all round game. But at the end of the day, if we signed him, I'd be a bit may about it also but what about uh, from a Chelsea perspective I mean obviously Chelsea have just won the title just sort of stepping into the shoes of a Chelsea supporter for a minute there has been a lot of talk that Conte was already dissatisfied with the yeah. speed at which they were moving for transfer targets firstly first question Howard for you is do you think the PR matters do you think the public because obviously it's a public relations disaster whenever you publicly lose a player in the manner in which they've lost Lukaku. Do you think the PR matters? Matters to who? The, the manager or the fans or... Just in general. Or just everyone. In everyone. In general, does it affect the club in any way, positively or negatively? No, I think in the short term, but in, at the end of the day, it'll, <laughs> it'll be about results next season. Mm. I mean, this we just the problem is I don't... Do we really know what's gone on here? We don't do. We didn't know Bernardo Silva was signing until he came in. Uh, Griezmann was apparently signed, done, delivered. Then it was cancelled, you know, because of their transfer ban. And then I've heard of the odd whisper that maybe United had been working behind the scenes for two months with this one. I mean, we just, we don't know for sure that, you know, I mean, it's just assumed that Chelsea really wanted him the number one target. But you just, there's so much misinformation out there that you don't really know. Mm. And so... Let people mock and you know, and go. Oh, this is a disaster. At the end of the day, <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me. To be honest, it's just we'll see how they line up at the start of the season. Who's you know they'll they'll go for someone else, won't they? I mean, Chelsea might just go for Morata now, hmm. which uh, well, makes sense. I in, think. But I mean, I agree with Howard there because you know basically every transfer window boils down to the William Goldman quote that nobody knows anything. But it is possible to decipher certain truths and certain feelings amongst, you know, key individuals. And you know, what I'm referring to there really is Conte and Mourinho in the past week, because it has come out in the press that Conte is, um, you know, dissatisfied, and so too is Mourinho. And they probably these these kind of leaks originated from each manager's camp. And now Mourinho has got his striker, and Conte has had his striker snatched from him. So all that kind of emphasis then switches on to Conte and his dissatisfaction and to what extent that might play into, you know, pressure being put on Chelsea 
in order to sign players that Conte really yeah. wants. So, and a man- Sorry. Who knows? Yeah, it's got a bit of a Mancini vibe to it when he... Yeah. I was just... You know, after bring- winning the league, we yeah. just didn't... I mean, I, you know, I, I get bored of people saying he was sacked for not saying hello to the tea lady in the morning. <laughs> I think it fell out with everyone at the club, didn't he? But it, I think it all originated from we just didn't strengthen after winning the league. And that's the that's the concern, I think. I don't think Conte would walk out, to be honest. But who knows? He's you know, a fiery character like Mancini. So, uh, But it could affect them next season. And obviously, they're in the Champions League. They need depth of squad. So it could rumble on and affect the season, yeah. Steve, what do you think? It's, does it say anything about the way that, that Chelsea are run or the way that um, Abramovich's interest in Chelsea? The, the, because it does, I mean, if as Howard said, like, you know, and, and you've said as well, we'll never know the complete truth. But if you read between the lines, if you look at what the journalists who are close to Chelsea are writing, what they seem to be saying is that ultimately Abramovich and Chelsea simply weren't prepared to pay what it was going to cost to get that transfer over the line. And whether that's in transfer fees or fees and 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 then um, agents' fees to Raiola, yeah. it's not really relevant. I'm just talking about the overall cost. They weren't prepared to go to that overall cost. Bearing in mind that they've just won the Premier League, how, what's your feeling? Obviously, we, can, we, we will have a City slant on it because we want to be challenging for the title next season but where does your head stand on Chelsea now having seen this unfold like this well I'll go back to kind of the middle of the question and and kind of dispute the relevancy of that I would say it is relevant about agents fees for example because that's my take on it personally Um, if you go back now is it three years or four years when we were in for Hazard and we bulked at spending so much on you know uh, giving such a sizable cut to his agent Whereas Chelsea just swooped in and they were happy to pay. Now, in hindsight, you look back and with some regret there and think, you know, on that occasion, I'd wish City had, you know, stumped up, no matter how unsavoury it is for an agent to get such a sizable cut because Hazard would have immensely improved us and Chelsea benefited in the long run. In this instance, it appears that Chelsea have took the opposite slant. Um, or that's what it appears from the outside, at least. I mean, we have to realise as well that you know, the agent involved and his connections to United. And, you know, when you look back at it now, you kind of think it was almost inevitable that Lukaku was always going to go to Old Trafford over Stamford Bridge. Um, But if there is a factor in there that Chelsea were reluctant to pay uh, with the agent involved, that's an interesting kind of um, philosophy moving forward, especially the way football's going now, where, you know, agents are becoming... Well, personally, I have very strong feelings of it, and I just think they're a cancer to the modern game, and it's just got far beyond reason- the act of reasonableness now, and something has to be done about it. But if Chelsea are taking almost a moral stance, which is a possibility, then um, that's very intriguing, that is. I mean, Conte won't give a shit. Conte won't want the club to take a moral stance. You know, he want his players in. All managers just want their players in. Um that's you know first and foremost and second most. So Conte will not be happy right now. I, I can't imagine him being particularly pleased with these developments. How that plays out will be really interesting to see because, like you say, they entered the negotiations with Kaku with a couple of aces in their hand. You know, with the league title winners, they are 
looking to improve and, you know, in a far stronger position right now to Manchester United. Um, it goes without saying that they're extremely cash rich and yet they've missed out on what was possibly their number one target. So that's there's going to be several subplots here which are going to play out in the weeks ahead. Mm, do you think, uh, final final thought on, on, on the Chelsea situation um, and the Lukaku situation, do you think it disrupts their pre-season, bearing in mind that they come back tomorrow and there were, uh, Diego Costa publicly said that uh, Conte had sent him a text message at the end of the season mm. saying, I'm not counting on you for next season. Um, so, so do you think do you think that now actually does seriously disrupt their pre-season or is it more of a storm in a teacup type thing that in a week they'll sign another forward and it won't matter? Or possibly Costa could even stay. I've heard uh, reports this morning. I mean, it's inevitable that such stories will be written in the backwash to the Lukaku story. But I have read them and, you know, there's a possibility now Costa staying. Funny enough, I was talking to a Liverpool fan yesterday about Sacco and he said, do you think Sacco might stay at Liverpool considering all that happened, you know, between him and Klopp? I said, not a chance because player and managers can have huge fallout. They could, you know, disrespect each other publicly and, and you know, it looks um, irretrievable, their relationship. And yet we do manage to patch it up at times. We've seen it happen in the past. That could be the case with Costa and, and uh, Conte. You can imagine that happening. Whereas Sacco and Liverpool, that was entirely different. Klopp there was basically saying he's a disruptive influence. You know, I, he criticised his kind of um, discipline. Um, he, you know, he basically, the manager does not want that player at the football club. Conte can't say the same with Costa, you know, in terms of his, his work application and, and what he, he brings to the club. Mm. So you can imagine them actually possibly patching things up. Um, it's a strange world these days, inhabited by strange people football, and, <laughs> you know, stranger things have happened. Absolutely. Howard, final question for you. Um, yeah. Lukaku or Diego Costa? If you can only have one of them and you had to take one, which one would you take? <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. I think I'd take Lukaku because Costa just does my head into it, honestly. Oh, man, I would take Costa all day long. <laughs> all just, day long. I mean, I would love... Are you asking me as a manager or as a fan? As, as, I'm asking you as a manager. I, I know I would take Costa slightly on the football side, but I, it's just trouble. Uh, it's it gets away with it pretty much all the time, but it's just a Listen, worry. I, to, I reckon he's I reckon he's one of those bastards that when he's in your team, you love him. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like he's, he's it's like an infant. Thing. You know, he's basically yeah. an infant off a pitch and just a beast on the pitch. And if you hand him right, my God, what a play you've got there! And yeah. City. Someone said on Twitter that uh, this week I was criticising Lukaku. Or rather, I was just pointing out that there's certain aspects of his game which are, are limited, and I suspect Mayo's remain limited, such as his, you know, the obvious one being his first touch, for example. And someone said, you'd love him at City. What? Lukaku at City? <laughs> Not a chance. Well, Guardiola said, oh, yeah, he's going to be leading the line next season. It's just inconceivable. Do we even watch football? Conte, uh, sorry, um, Costa, I would love him at City. Bring him on if 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 we're getting bullied up front. Mm. You know, just kind of looking out for David. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, if he no. signed for us, he'd be sent off every other game. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely guarantee it's entirely it. Entirely possible. Uh, right, lads. Um, next up, I guess because obviously we 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 went down the the United path uh, it, at the start of the conversation about Chelsea. <laughs> so we may as well we may as well finish up on 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 what we think about United's summer so far. Um, 
Can I just ask you something, sorry, about Chelsea? Do you know much of... Oh, well, either of you. I think they're signing that Rudiger today, aren't they? So Yeah. We were, we were, do you know much about him? Because, obviously, seen a bit for the national side. I don't really watch this Roma he played for, wasn't yeah. it? But we were linked with him quite a lot. But I think it was just one of those spurious links rather than concrete ones. But mm. our name has popped up a lot. So do you think he'll strengthen them more? Yeah, I think yeah. he's a good player. I mean, I think that... Um, I think the thing with Conte is that he will sign defensive players well. Like he'll, I, I suspect that he'll, he'll, they'll be stronger at the back next season for yeah. for bringing a guy like Rudiger in, uh, and they'll, you know, they they're obviously after another left back. They're trying to get Alexandro, which I don't think is going to happen for them. I think he's going to sign a new deal at Juve. But um, yeah, for the most part, I think that he will be a a good signing for them. Steve, what about you? I can, as same as Howard, really, we have mainly watched him on international duty. Mm. Not overly impressed, but impressed. And what I've read about him and what I've heard about him is he's, you know, a, a good, solid player who, who would improve Chelsea. So, yeah, it makes sense. Um, as regards to going to City, yeah, they were always very tentative, weren't they? I always got the impression that he was basically just a convenient name to chuck in. Oh, uh, yeah. We were a, a convenient club to kind of link with him. Yeah. Do you think think there's think it would ever happen at Chelsea? Well, we've lost out on Lukaku. Let's just spend whatever it takes to get Sandro now as a kind of not a consolation, but I think they were like that. That no, club's like I, no. think, I think the problem is is Juventus. I, think I know it's a different position completely, but yeah. they might just no, think no, let's see, get Sandro. Yeah, I see what yeah. you're saying. I completely see what you're saying. That even from a PR perspective, maybe it might yeah. make sense to just go out and pay the dough. I suspect the problem with Sandro this summer is the same problem that we found with Benucci last summer, which is that when you're dealing with Juventus and they don't want to sell a player, they'll just keep moving the goalposts. Yeah, and and as you've just seen with Lukaku. Clearly, Abramovich is of the opinion that he's not going to have the piss taken out of him in the transfer market uh, financially. And so I think that at a certain moment, it'll be exactly the same thing with Sandro, where he'll just go, well, he's a left back. I'm not going to, I'm not going to break the, you know, if you start to, I mean, they're already talking about 70 million euros, right? So they only need yeah. to move the goalpost once more and 80. And then you're talking about Pogba money. And I just don't see uh, Abramovich go in there. I mean, that's more or less what Lukaku's ended up costing. So I just, yeah, no, I, I don't see that one. Hey, Sam. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm fully in agreement with you about Abramovich. Um, well, that's my take at least. But don't you find it very odd? I mean, for this summer, you know, considering their past record as well, Chelsea, um, and, you know, in the past, they were just the, the, the buyers, you know, if, if it needed spending, they spent it. And for this summer of all summers, for kind of Abramovich to kind of take a step back seems very odd. I don't think it's that. I I actually think that for the last few years, um, the the real kind of power there has been that guy Michael Emiliano, who's like the the um, the kind of de facto director of football, and he's effectively head of recruitment. And he, oh. him, and that Russian lady um, uh, Marina, whatever her name is, they tend to decide whether a deal is worth it or not. And they have walked away from plenty of deals in the last three or four years, and they've done plenty of deals. So I don't think that... I think that what's happened is Abramovich more or less trusts those two more than he trusts any manager. 
So yeah. that's why yeah. you've got the Mourinho fallout. I think that with Conte, you're potentially heading down that route because Conte is similar to Mancini, similar similar to Mourinho in that he's not a these types of guys. They're not company men. Do you know what I mean? They're not Guardiola's a company man, right? Alex Ferguson yeah, is a company yeah, I man. Agree. They come in and they, you know, everything is behind closed doors, and they're never going to go out publicly and be like, you know. Uh, they didn't get me this player or I'm unhappy about this. They always defend the club first and foremost. And and I think that guys like Conte, guys like Mourinho, they're not like that. And I think that in that battle between the manager and, and Emiliano and, 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 and Marina, uh, well, they've seen off Mourinho once. Yeah. So they'll see Conte off if, if that's what it comes down to. And actually, I think that if you look at Chelsea's recruitment over the last few years, it's been really good. Do you know what I mean? Like if, absolutely, their selling is incredibly impressive. But even the players, even the even the players that they've brought in. I mean, they, mm. they brought Fabregas and, and Pedro in for really, really good good fees, and and those two guys were were have been important players for them. They've got Kante last summer when everybody wanted him. Turned out to be a, a fantastic signing. They lost players under Mourinho, so Lukaku and De Bruyne. That I suspect that they would, you know. With hindsight, they probably regret letting Mourinho, or not so much letting Mourinho make those calls in terms of letting the players go. I think it was more a case of letting Mourinho buy all the players so that then those players were pushed further down the pecking order. Um, so I, yeah, I just I think it's different at Chelsea now. I think that I think that it's not quite it's not so much Abramovich sat there playing football manager. I think it's he's got, now got a structure there that he trusts, and so he'll, for better or for worse, he's going to back them over um, whoever the current manager is. Particularly, like you say, when in terms of the the turnover of players and the money that they're bringing in from selling players shows that they're doing something right. Particularly when they've just won the league as well. Oh, it's incredible! I mean, they've brought in sixty one point eight million from five players who have accumulatively gained 49 appearances for Chelsea. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still, we've made 26 million of players who have never come near the club. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, probably, I think... Probably don't even know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a, you know, jokes aside, it's something that gets, uh, it's something that gets talked about a lot on Twitter and it, it upsets people. And, and I don't does, understand, yeah. I don't understand why it upsets people. The bottom it's a business line, model, isn't yeah, it? It's, yeah. it's, and it? And you might not like it now. You might not like it in the sense of, Oh, it feels a bit weird that we buy this lad and we loan him out and then we sell him and we make money from it. But that's how we can go out and spend 200, yeah. 300 million in a summer. And that's what we need to do. Because you can't look at it in isolation of, of City and be super idealistic and be like, yeah, but I want my club to be running this way. You want your club to, to be running a way that it can compete with Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, the spending of those clubs. And to match that spending, we got you got to make turnover from somewhere. And Chelsea have been very good at the way that they've used their academy. And we are obviously heading in that direction in terms of our feeder clubs across the world in the City Football Group and our kind of turnover of, of of players from those. I mean, look, like the, the Aaron Moy example is fantastic. We paid less for Melbourne City yeah. than we got <laughs> for Aaron Moy from Huddersfield. Do you know what I mean? You buy a club and then you take one of their players, you loan him out for a year, you flip him and you've paid 
for what it costs to buy the club. I mean, that's incredible. Like that's it is. It is. It's you know, it's it's very much something that as a supporter base we need to get behind. And if we can't get behind it, we shouldn't moan about it because we need to to make that money. Yeah. Okay, now can we talk about Man United? I'm sorry, I just might have diverted you for 20 minutes. Then. You did, you did, but that's all right. I mean, this is the, like, it's, it's the summer. I only asked about one player. No, it's cool. <laughs> you know what? I'm actually glad we did, though, because I think in, in that, if you're looking at overall and transfer talk this summer, um, there's two which I feel just aren't talked about enough, which is Chelsea and Spurs. So I think it, it's good that we've devoted so much time to Chelsea because, you know, we won the league last year. They are one of the main players. They are one of the, the protagonists. Definitely. And yet all kind of talk seems to be about us and United and Liverpool and Everton, yeah. et cetera. Well, so. it's two in three now, isn't it? So mm. must, have, must have forgotten the season. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's two in three. So. No, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, very. Let's briefly talk about United because obviously – as a being the the Premier League podcast, our aim will always be to remain relatively neutral on this pod and try and have a conversation where we put our bias to one side. But when it comes to United, that's just not going to happen. So we'll, we'll be as brief as we can. So, so um, unprofessional. Well, you know, this you might get the we do have the odd supporter of different clubs that listen to our podcast, but they're not United fans. So asked about what United fans think, um, but. Seriously, yeah, for me, the Lukaku signing is basically maintaining the status quo because yeah. they lost Ibrahimovic and they brought in Lukaku. Um, just briefly, Steve, the fact that they've not lost De Gea, big thing? Oh, it's too early to say. It's really too early to say. Um, it still might happen, isn't it? it, it it's still on nah, the cards. I think that ship has sailed. I think, I think that just, ship has do sailed. Do you think that's... that's Done and done. In which case, and I'm really sorry to bring it back to Chelsea, Courtois to Real Madrid, is that a possibility, do you think? No, because I think that what's going to end up happening is um, the, the the other lad that Raiola owns, the the keeper at Milan, who's 18, who's... Donnarumma, yeah. 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 Um, Donnarumma. I suspect he's going to end up at Madrid next summer. Okay. I think, I think that's okay. how that plays out. Um, well, I mean, as a City fan, um, I'll come at this from a City fan. With, with, the, with the other clubs, I'll come at it from a football fan. And I would love David De Gea to move to Real Madrid. And if that is kind of, you know, finito now and it's not going to happen this summer, then, uh, yeah, I'm a touch gutted about that, to be honest, because he would severely, you know, his departure would severely weaken them. He's a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, he you know, makes them um, 10 to 12 points a season as the cliche goes, but in his, in his instance, he really does. Yeah. Um, it's a huge plus for him if they retain him um, and they can, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer. I, I wrote about Pickford recently going to Everton um, and, you know, the main theme of it was how much of a believer I am in just starting with a great goalkeeper and then building your team outwards in that kind of cloth manner. Uh, and, you know, it allows United to do that. It gives them that solid grounding. Uh, and also in terms of uh, you know the PR and the reputation that goes with that as well, keeping hold of your kind of let's face, it, he's a star player. I mean, you could yeah. talk about Pogba and how much he costs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. David De Gea is their outstanding player. He's their you know world class elite player. So yeah, I, I would love him to move to Real Madrid. If it looks like it's not going to happen, then I'm sad about that. Um, Mourinho will be delighted. And so will the club, obviously. Mm. Um, Howard, in terms yeah. of the 
the kind of the Mourinho factor that we've now seen over 12 months and the kind of the the obvious ability that United have to spend big, big money and spend it quickly. Um, do you think that that will be enough this summer, bearing in mind that they finished sixth to bridge the gap? Do you think they can throw enough money at this this summer to really bridge that gap between where Chelsea were um, and where United were? I think they can, yeah, because not them specifically, but I think, I say this every year, next season will be the most competitive ever, but Chelsea won't have the advantages they had last season and I think it will tighten up between six teams. Uh, so they go and spend another 250 million and he makes them a dour team that don't lose many games. Uh, yeah, I think it can be bridged. I, I don't make them favourites or anything, but they will keep throwing, you know, people would have a go, oh, City fans saying this, so, you know, similar situation. They can will keep throwing money at it and keep throwing money at it until it succeeds, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, we've got another seven weeks of the... I reckon they'll spend... Yeah, they might spend another 70 on Murata, or they might still go for him. I just don't believe everything you read. And then another 150 million, you know, another central defender, another midfielder. Yeah, why not? Uh, I don't... Problem is... There'll still be a miserable team to watch, but that but that team can be. And Do you think that, that matters? That that's me quoting United fans, not me. Oh, it, it matters to me. No, it doesn't so. matter. It can be successful though. So if yeah, you're saying, but can it be as a fan and and just because you know you've got football and then you've got everything around football and that everything else around football, that's where it really matters. Mm. That United are, you know ultra pragmatic and boring to watch and just sucking the spirit out of the game. And then it really matters then because even, you know, should they be challenging for the title next year and they're playing in the same manner that they did last season, which you would expect to be the case, then if City are challenging for the title, as you would expect, and we're playing in a flamboyant, attacking, entertaining manner, then that whole, you know, and when I say anything else around football, I'm talking about just, you know, fan to fan, I'm talking about media coverage, I'm talking about general interpretation of your football club and, and the other football club in question, then we win that war big. You know, we just trounce that war. We can walk with our heads held high and that it matters. It really does. Because if you take all of that out of it, what you're left with, you just literally are left with 22 men just kicking a football around. Yeah. I'm no, but all, all I'm saying is he's saying it doesn't matter in the league table. Yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah, that, that Dower style can be successful. I'm, so, I'm going to I'm if going they to spend play. big, if they can find those, I think they, I think they have a similar problem to us. They just didn't take chances enough, uh, but they also bored the pants off the opposition. So, uh, I think it could make a difference if they strengthen in the right place, like left back, as you say, and they've kept De Gea feet gone. I'd, I wouldn't fancy the chances because it's very hard to integrate. Well, I hope we do, but you don't just replace him instantly <laughs> and, get, and get that same level as De Gea just instantly, do you? So uh, him staying could be crucial. So, uh, Listen, just playing devil's advocate for a second. Um, for, Steve, I want to go back to what you just said about it does matter. For all yeah. of that, it does matter. United won two trophies, for me, what I consider to be recognised trophies last season, and we didn't win anything. And they qualified for the Champions League, and we qualified for the Champions League. 
Who had a better season last season? United had a better season last season. But when you look back on the season and, you know, as what I was referring to just then about, you know, everything else that matters in football, the whole kind of, you know, circus around football, then we won out because if you, I mean, let's boil it down to the, the, the tiniest, minutest kind of example of what I'm referring to here. If you've got a Liverpool fan and he's thinking about going to the pub that kind of Sunday you know, afternoon and having a couple of pints and watching a game of football. And it happens to be United lunchtime kickoff, City tea time kickoff, you know, four o'clock kickoff. Mm-hmm. He, would, he would think, ah, you know what, I'll have a bit of Sunday lunch at home and then go down and watch a City game. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, that is boiled down to the tiniest detail because what does that matter to us as Blues? You know, it, it doesn't. But then you can blow that up to huge proportions. You know, that's what I'm referring to. Okay. We won the, the whole, you know, war. They just kind of won the, the, the most significant battles by, you know, digging deeper trenches. Well, I think, you know, I think in the short term, Mourinho's a short-term results guy. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The long-term isn't really a thing for him. It's just all about the, the short-term, whereas it's quite clear with Guardiola that there's a, a wider kind of long-term vision that needs to be realised. And so I guess that that's where I kind of agree with you that, yeah, in the short-term, United had a better season last season, but in the long-term... You know, they're not going anywhere. They're just going to repeat. The only thing that they can do is repeat that thing, but be a bit more successful at it. Uh, and they still won't be capturing anyone's imagination. Um, right, Which is just very quickly, though. I think as important as the players coming in, as the, the players leaving at Old Trafford as well, if he, if he gets rid of the, the players who evidently, you know, he feels aren't kind of up to the standards that he requires on the football that he demands... Um, and if he manages to, you know, to clear that deadwood uh, and then strengthen the squad rather than the team and to have players he can bring in who he can depend on, because, um, you know, that was quite clear last year that he had a squad that he couldn't depend on. He just had a first team that he could. Uh, that, that That's crucial to United's success. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that having, in that sense, I think also knowing that they're in the Champions League next season will... Not that they didn't have access to top players last summer, mm. but I think that there may be certain types of players who it's easier for them to target this summer because they've got Champions League football. I know you're not of you know a lot. A lot of people say, "Well, it's Man United; they've got so much money, it doesn't really matter." And uh, I appreciate that, but I do think that there is a type of player sometimes that you know you can get if you're playing in the Champions League. Where you oh, just, you just all, all you have to do is look at Liverpool losing to Seville in the um, you know Europa League. Yeah, and how if they'd won that game, yeah. the difference in the transfers that summer for Liverpool would have been astonishing. Yeah. Well, look, that's a perfect segue because um, I want to talk about Liverpool next <laughs> and uh, and their kind of, well, the kind of interesting situation that they find themselves in. Um, we won't go in, we won't go too deep into the Virgil van Dijk fiasco. It's been talked about a lot. Um, but Steve, do you get the sense that something is different with Liverpool and their transfer business this summer? Yeah, I mean, you've just said that, you know, a situation um, and, you know, the thing to add to that is of their own making. It just seems to be, what are they doing? It's so avoidable. You know, the Van Dyke thing was completely avoidable. 
Um, it, it, I know that you know you can make an argument that every club does it, and every club kind of leaks and kind of you know taps up for want of a better expression. Um, and of course, that's widespread in football. But they're the ones who basically had it, you know, were exposed and got found out. Uh, and that's amateur hour. Um, you look at the chase of Cater. It, it's just grubby. It, it's so public and so kind of we want this player. The other club saying no, he's not for sale. Get lost. No, we want this player over and over and over again. Aren't we doing the uh, same thing with Sanchez? Wear them down. What's that? Aren't we doing the same thing with Sanchez? I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I do. I definitely feel that there's a a, a parallel that can be drawn between our pursuit of Sanchez and and their pursuit of Naby Keita. Yeah, but that's City, mate. That's that's different. It's. Um... You know, it's all right when City do <laughs> Yes, no, it's absolutely correct. That's what we're doing with Sanchez. But it's, what I'm saying is when you tie that into Van Dijk and kind of, um, you know, there's two for the price of one, basically. They're just going about things the wrong way, in my opinion. Um, and they're not quietly doing business. And you're absolutely right to say that City are as guilty with Sanchez. Um, and like I said earlier as well, it's widespread across football, mm. but they're the ones who are repeatedly getting found out, basically, Liverpool, and it just looks unsavoury and it looks a, a touch embarrassing, quite frankly. They're, they're chased for, for Cater, uh, and bear in mind as well, the difference, the key difference for me would be Sanchez with his you know, established quality, the fact that, you know, kind of, for the same price, we're getting a, a world-class player, whereas Cater, as good as he is, we're looking at, at a midfielder who has all potential ahead of him. And, you know, it's kind of, for me, the price is staggering for such a player. Um, so, yeah, I'm just watching it with a great deal of kind of humour. I'm just chuckling along at, at their kind of uh, summer. They've bought well with Salah. Um, that aside, though, they need five quality players in set positions. They knew what they wanted. And they are cocking it up at this point, in my opinion. Okay. Howard, um, do you, when you yeah. look at the figures, because that's actually the question that I asked Steve, but he just ignored it because I know he hates <laughs> Liverpool and he just he went on his I hate Liverpool rant. Um, Is that true? Do you hate them, Steve? He does. I, I hate, um, I, I love the fans. I hate the club. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I just hate their ex-players <laughs> and the media side and... Uh, but yeah, go on. Anyway, I'm 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 completely at a loss now. This was meant to be a neutral podcast. <laughs> it's just Sorry. like the most... oh, we can all agree that John Aldridge and that ilk <laughs> should be a I, I can't. I mean, the drivel they come out. With. I think I think Aldo is a lovely fella, and um... oh, I'm sure he's a lovely fella. <laughs> some <laughs> some think... of the stuff they say is just oh yeah uh... no. I mean, but so. What I was trying to get at was just when you look at the figures being quoted, that obviously Liverpool were prepared to pay £70 million for Van Dyke, right? It yeah. seems as though they're prepared to pay £70 million for Naby Keita. Do you feel that that signals some type of change in the thinking at Liverpool, bearing in mind that I don't remember at any point in the last two or three years, certainly since these new owners that they've had, uh, new owners, they're not that new anymore since FSG have come in, come in. I don't ever remember them sort of shopping in the big boys shop. And I feel as though, yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think, no, I think there's been a change. Uh, obviously, qualifying for the Champions League is crucial to that change. So, Without that, they couldn't. Maybe they could have gone for these two players, but we we assume they'll get through the qualifier. 
because you can and players will players that are the the linked with will assume that they're playing in the group stage as well and there's extra revenue there and the TV deal is still kicking in. Yeah, I think to be honest, the ridic- they are ridiculous prices, but it's got to the point where well, you either spend it or you just won't be competing. So, yeah, I don't know if the big. I think they'll be back in for Van Dyke. I think they'll just keep a low profile for a month and then they'll get him. Yeah, I don't. No, I'm not saying they will, but I don't think it's dead in the water now. Okay. I think that I think the stepping. Well, he wants to leave. I'm pretty sure he'll want to leave. So, it might come to the point where he agitates and it's back on again. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, basically. I think he wants to go there. Uh, Liverpool want him, so something will happen. And they'll probably, they've probably put a few more million on his price now by messing the, the whole thing up, because so, Southampton don't have to sell. But, yeah, I think they are being aggressive. And as I said right at the beginning, come the end of the summer, there might be 15 of these transfers and we're just like, it'll just be ridiculous. Mm. You'd just be shaking your head. But, yeah, I think they are being a bit more ambitious. But, as Steve has said, the, no, the front line looks very dangerous, really. It's, just, it's a pretty good front line. Maybe missing a, still missing one out-and-out striker, I think. But they've still got a lot of work to do on that midfield and defence, I think. So, if they want to be true, true competitive you know, challengers for the big trophies. So, they're going to have to spend a lot of money. They went into this window fully prepared. They knew the positions they wanted to strengthen in. They knew the players that they wanted to target. They knew what their budget was. And, you know, we know because Liverpool basically right now are just an open book. They just publicise everything. Um, and they've got one in so far. Now, it's early days, no bother. But when you look at the kind of sustained chase for the cater and that could you know, easily disrupt them, that could be a huge distraction for them. Uh, and you look at how Van Dijk kind of blew up in their face then it's not going well thus far, is, is all I'm saying. If they get Van Dijk, yeah, is that a game-changer? No, because he's he's a perfectly decent but not exceptional defender for me. Um, hugely overpriced. Even in the current climate, I think he's hugely overpriced. Um, you know, it sounds ridiculous to say this about a, a very good defender, but, you know, this is the world we now live in. I would personally pitch him at around about the 40 million mark. So you're looking at almost double the value there. Um, so, yeah, I, I he would improve him. In the, I'm being desperate for a centre-back. Of course they are. And he will improve him in defence. But we've got another three areas that we need to improve. Their midfield, like Howard says, needs needs somewhat of an overhaul. Needs a lot more energy in there. Um, so there's still a lot of work to do, even if they, they brought in Van Dijk, which is unlikely. Okay, uh, Howard. What about for you? Do you agree with Steve's assessment of Van Dyke? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he could turn out to be absolutely world class, but I'm not totally convinced yet. To be honest, if if that's what he's if that's what it costs to get them and they want him, fair enough to do it. If he came to us, I wouldn't be disappointed, but I wouldn't be mega excited either. Uh, I've seen videos of it. I'm not convinced the slight positioning, and um, you know he's not played at the top level yet. It is a ridiculous price, but again. It could be one of 40 this summer, so mm. uh, it could be brilliant. But, yeah, I don't quite rate him as highly as I think you do. So, yeah, I'm pretty much with Stephen on that one. So, okay. so what, do you, what do you think, Asa? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I completely disagree with the pair of you. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think Van Dyke's a game-changer for them because I think he's right. the best centre-half. He was the best centre-half in the league last season. Um, and I think that in terms of 
He will bring to Liverpool what we are desperate for this summer, and that's stability in that back line. Yeah, because whenever we lose Vinny, we don't. There, it's completely. It becomes unstable. The entire back four becomes unstable, and I think that <clears throat> particularly for guys like Klopp and Guardiola who play front foot aggressive football, who like their defensive line to be pushed up to the halfway line as often as they can. I think for the for for guys like that, it's absolutely crucial that you've got a centre-back who you trust, who everybody, everybody trusts that guy. And we have that in Vinny, but obviously he's got uh, injury issues. I think for Liverpool, if you introduce that, bearing in mind how good and how potent they were in flashes in the season just gone. Um, considering the fact that Van Dijk, if they get him, won't be the only player that they sign. And as we say, they've already signed, I think, a top player in, in Salah. Yeah, I just, I, I, I kind of look at that as a big, I think that would be a huge signing. And I would, I mean, I'm not saying that, that they're going to go at, go and win the title next season, but I think that Van Dijk can have the impact at Liverpool that Kante had at Chelsea last season. Where So if you were kind of Guardiola's successor right now, he'd be basically one of your kind of, you know, top three targets. He, in in defence, he'd be my number one target. Right. If I was signing a centre-half this summer, I'd want Van Dijk. And if I couldn't get Van Dijk, I'd want <clears throat> uh, Toby from Spurs. Those are yeah. the two. That those those would be my one and two easily because they've done it in the league and they've shown they can do it in the league. And again, like this this idea of stability that I'm obsessed with at the moment, that's what he will bring. Um, yeah. So I, I I guess I disagree with you guys. Uh, okay. okay. Let's let's push this forward. Uh, I'm a bit conscious of time. Um, let's have a little chat about Spurs. And what we'll do is we'll do um, we'll do Arsenal and Everton in the next Premier League podcast that we do. Um, we'll look at their transfer business then. But let's let's have a quick chat about Spurs because I think they're in a they're in a very very interesting summer. Um, firstly, Steve, what do they need to do? When you look at their team, what instinctively do you feel that they need? Oh, um, I think they've got a fantastic recipe and they've made a fantastic cake and they don't really need to do a great deal other than just kind of improve upon what they've got. They are in the best position. Well, arguably Chelsea, about second best position going into this summer where they can literally just pick and choose, right, this is our target, we'll take our time, we'll secure him. I I mean, Spurs fans would disagree with me on this. I would say we need no more than two new signings. Um, we, we, you know, the obvious one being a backup to Harry Kane. Um, and possibly, I mean, if, if Toby is unhappy, you know, and maybe some kind of work on the defence, but... They are a solid unit. He's really forged. This. I mean, they're so quiet this summer as well. I mean, what have we heard about Spurs? Absolutely nothing. So that kind of ties in with what I'm saying. They're just taking their time. They're one or two targets, and they'll secure them. I mean, Pochettino has said in the past that he still wants to uh, target the young players, the Deli Alleys, and kind of look to improve them. I would look 
beyond that and kind of you know look at the more Evertonian model this summer of bringing in the 24 year olds who are just approaching their peak mm. but that aside uh, they're in an incredibly strong position um Still- again sorry to spout a, a, an obvious point what's been mentioned many times before but their biggest downfall could be when once a season gets underway and, and playing at Wembley Stadium yeah I, um, I as think it, to bringing in it, a personnel though I mean I would love to be the Spurs manager right now you could just sit back and, and just watch all the chaos around you um, and just you know pick off one or two kind of cherries from the tree and uh, and then you're good to go hmm. Howard yeah yeah, I kind of agree. It's kind of a weird problem for them because they've no obvious weakness, but they're not, they weren't yeah. quite good enough to be champions. So, which area do you do you improve? Definitely another top class striker, maybe an explosive winger, something that really make a difference. Uh, obviously, a replacement for Walker might be uh, needed shortly. But it's hard to say, well, that's, that's their weakness there. You know, it's obvious in other teams, but. They're just a uni, aren't they? But I still get the feeling they're not quite good enough. But existing players can improve, can't they? Especially if it's quite a young team. So they're not going to do a lot. But I think Wembley is going to be a huge hindrance to them because it's just your home advantage is kind of not yeah, wiped out. Well not wiped out because you still have the fans there behind you. But it's just not the same. And I, th- I just, even when. Even when teams move to new stadiums permanently, there's very often a knock-on effect for a year or two. And I think that that's a big negative on their side, not the squad itself, just the fact that they won't be playing at White Hart Lane. So, Okay. Um, <clears throat> what do you think, by the way? Uh, before Where would you strengthen if you were manager of Spurs? Before we get to that, I want to ask you something else. Um, <laughs> okay. Obviously, it looks like they're going to sell Walker to City. There's a lot of talk that, that that Eric Dyer for the right price can go to Manchester United. Do you think that changes the complexion of their summer, Steve? Um, I can't envisage Dyer going to Manchester United under any circumstances. So, I mean, oh, wow. that's my... I just can't see him doing it. Spurs have got a history with, with selling to United, you know, Carrick and Berbatov, et cetera, et cetera. They, Levy just won't allow this. He just will not allow... I mean, they're in a position now where they're no longer a selling club or viewed as a selling club, and that's incredibly important to them in terms of you know PR and everything else. I can't see it happening unless it's an astonishing bid so high that the rest of football is just laughing and clapping Spurs on the back saying, well done. <laughs> it just won't happen. I mean, Walker is different, just entirely different because of his position. You can sell fullbacks and not be viewed as a selling club. Okay. You can't with, with, with such a central figure as Eric Dyer and all that he's come to represent for Spurs as well. He's become the alongside Deli Ali and Kane. He's one of the you know the, the faces of Spurs and what they're representing right now. So I just can't see it happening, right? I, I mean, I'll be I'll be incredibly surprised if it does. Right. Howard, would you go along with Steve's assessment there that you can sell? <laughs> your first choice right back and not be viewed as a selling club? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't agree with that selling club thing anyway. It's a very vague thing to say, to be honest, because everyone, every summer, sells players, buys players. Obviously, some have it as a model of sustainability, mm. you know, that they just make big money, you know, they move players on and they re- 
they reinvest, and I know Southampton have probably seen as a selling club. Yeah, specifically for Liverpool. Southampton are kind of damned for being a selling club, though, yeah. because of you know they're more of a mid-table outfit traditionally than Spurs. I think Spurs, because we're always competing to get into that top six and have done now for the past twenty-five years, then they're damned for it. You know, if they do yeah. sell one of their best players to a to a competitor, direct competitor, yeah. then they are by default a selling club. Yeah, different. I think my opinion differs somewhat. I'd Dyer, I don't rate Dyer that highly. So, if it was stupid money, I wouldn't see it as Spurs being a selling club. I'd see it as being canny business. And I'd be quite happy for United to sign him, to be honest, because I don't think he takes them up another level. I just, I'm not that impressed as others are. So, mm. uh, but no, I don't, I'm not sure about specific areas d- defining whether you're a selling club or not. And as, as we already said, there's not going to be much movement, so they won't be defined that way anyway. So, yeah. But yeah, I don't think Dyer's going anywhere, I I think Walker's the only one who yeah. will leave, basically. So, Okay. Um, I'll answer your question now. I Yeah, I mean, I, I, I Spurs are a selling club for me. I, I know that <laughs> you, you both don't like that for, for different reasons. You don't agree with that. But I, I, I think that fundamentally, every player in that squad has got a price, yeah, if, if they ask to leave. And I think that's the difference. I think the power that... Manchester City have, that United have, that I don't know if Chelsea may have that to to some extent. In fact, they do have that to some extent as well. I don't think there's any other clubs in the Premier League that have that. They have the power to say to a player who says, I want to leave, you're just not leaving. Diego Costa asked to leave, I think 12 months ago or 18 months ago, whenever it was, and Chelsea just went, you're just not going. doesn't matter what you say, you're not going, you're staying. Um, City did it with Tevez. Tevez asked three times to go and City went, you're just not going. You'll go when we decide you go. I think with a club like Spurs, Walker's obviously said, I want to move. There's a price. If you pay it, you buy the player. I suspect that if Deli Ali had gone into to, to Daniel Levy this summer and said, I want to go, Man City want to buy me, Levy will have gone, get them to pay £100 million, £120 million, and you can go. I think that's the difference. I think that... Whereas United, City, Chelsea will always look first and foremost at the footballing imperative and the manager and make a call based on that. Spurs for me are a selling club. And what selling clubs do is they go, everybody's got a price. We know that. So if they pay the price and the player wants to go, they go. Um, In terms of how they need to strengthen... I'd sort of go, I actually go along with with what you said, Steve. I think that they've got, you know, they've got they've got arguably the best starting eleven in the league, yeah. and at least they've got the most stable uh, and effective starting eleven in the league. So I don't think that there's a lot of work to be done. But at the same time, where I would maybe slightly disagree is that I think it's a big summer for Spurs. Because they're moving to Wembley, because that potentially will have negative effects upon their results, I think definitely as a team, they could do with a couple of players who maybe make, you know, it's one of those where when you've got, when when I say you've got the best starting 11 in the league, then of course it's really hard to improve upon that. But I actually think that's what they need to do. You know, they need one, they need to bring a guy in 
whether it's Douglas Costa or just a player who makes, unsettles the starting 11 in a positive way where they come back to training and they've got a guy and, and they kind of look around and they go, we've got to be better this season because this guy is better than, you know, you, you kind of look in your position and you don't want complacency. Um, and if you can, obviously Spurs can't do what City are going to do and go out and buy four or five players, but you at least need to bring one in that makes one person in that squad at least go, yeah, my I'm you know my position might be a little bit under threat here. I've got to be better, um, and I think, but I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll continue the model that that they've that they've yeah, used they will. over the last few years, and that's why for me they're as well run as they are. They'll never be a threat, and it's a weird thing to say about a club that have finished above us two seasons on the bounce, but. <laughs> It's that it's that sense of the long term that I'm sort of looking at and going, if you're if you're there but you're comfortable selling your best right back to a competitor, if you're there but you know that for fifty million you'll sell Eric Dyer to, to Man United, I don't know. Like it's they they need to decide what they are as a club. I think they have a tiny bit of an identity crisis, which Pochettino has done really well to, to kind of paper over because he's such a top manager and he's developed those players in such a top way. Uh, but for me, personally, I think that, yeah, they have a little bit of an identity crisis where they're not a top, they're not traditionally a title-challenging club because they will sell their best players. Um, but I assume the stadium don't come cheap, does it? So Of course. I mean, that's that was the, 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 the literally oh. the next point I was going to make was just that, I guess I understand the fact that they have to finance that new stadium and it will be complicated for them. I don't think that even with the new TV money, they're in a position to go out and spend a hundred million pound net on new players. Um, so, you know, it'll be, it'll just be interesting to see a, who they sign and then b how they shape up once the season begins, because as stable as that starting 11 is, uh, and as good as it is, the depth isn't there right now. That's that's my thing. And I think that what I'm beginning to realise is that to win the Premier League, you need, you, you don't, depth isn't about bodies. Depth is about quality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I well, I mean, they were poor in Europe, weren't they? Exactly. It was, it was the home form that fired. I mean, they're the best home form in the league. So, But they're only fifth best away. So they need to improve on that. And that's why I think playing at Wembley could be a big hindrance. Uh, they have to right. continue I agree that about though. the squad depth as well. You're looking yeah. at like players like Lamella and Sizoko. You know, they've cost Spurs, you know, to a great extent. So they will be looking at to bring in, you know, players, but I just can't see it being more than two. Um if you're looking at the you know the thirty million plus kind of region. Um and I completely disagree with you, Sam, about the identity crisis. I think more than any other club in the Premier League, Spurs firmly now have affixed themselves to an identity, to a philosophy, to a kind of, you know, movement and are executing it well. Um so it'll just be a continuation of that, which is exactly why I can't see them selling to Manchester United this summer okay. um, and going back to the Spurs of old. I just can't see that happening. Okay. My only riposte to that would be Chesty. <laughs> That uh, I think that again, you know that that thing that you say about like they know exactly what their identity is and and mm. all that sort of stuff. 
it it kind of one of the reasons that they've been allowed to do that is because City, United, and also Chelsea in the last three years have been incredibly uh, yo-yo in their performances and their results. And obviously, there's been managerial changes across the board at those three clubs. Um, and there is a sense that at all three clubs, they're kind of starting a new chapter. Um, and yeah. Spurs were a little bit ahead of the curve in that Pochettino came in a year or two before all these other changes have been made. And I think that this is a bold prediction for me to make, but I'm good at them and they're normally wrong. <laughs> so this will probably be wrong as well. But I think there'll be a little bit more a case of normal service resumed next season because I I do believe that even Liverpool will spend money and will get manifestly stronger than they were last season and I think that Spurs will not just stand still I think potentially in losing Walker and maybe losing one other player from that squad they they've got the potential to go a little bit backwards and I just don't think that in a league this competitive you can do that. And that's what I mean by having an identity crisis. You're either, to be a title challenger, you've got to kind of, you know, in this league, I don't think it's realistic to be a kind of Spurs type of club and genuinely over a five or 10 year period go, yeah, we're going to be, we're going to win the title three. Like I could look at United and think over the next 10 years, they'll probably win the title two or three times. But but I said, that's you disagreeing with their identity, if that makes sense. That's not them having an identity crisis. They, they, they know where they're going. They believe in it wholly. They believe in it collectively. You disagree with that, and you point. think that it'll be their undoing, which is fair enough. I don't, to be fair, I half agree with you there, but it doesn't uh, mean to suggest that Spurs have a crisis of identity, because they don't. Absolutely. No, that's a, that's a, that's a very, very fair point. Um, listen, gentlemen, uh, an hour and one minute, and we've only talked about three clubs. Pretty. Well. <laughs> uh, Let's do the other sixteen now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, listen. Uh, that was really cool, um, Howard. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Steve. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Um, to everybody who listened, thank you very much. The Premier League uh, shows that we do, they will be uh, league matters, as I'm going to call it. Uh, they'll be part of the. Um, the paywall shows that we do next season. Uh, as with all of those shows, the idea will be that it's a pick and mix. If you like it, listen to it. If you don't like it, there's nobody forcing you to listen to it. Hopefully, there'll be enough content behind the paywall that you do enjoy listening to. Um, in the meantime, if you like what we do, go to iTunes, hit subscribe, send us a tweet, go to our website, 9320.com. We'll be back very soon with another podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>